The Water Values Podcast, Session 49. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things. Now here's your host, Dave McGibson. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my son Joey said, I'm Dave McGimsey and thanks for joining me. And thank you to David Zetlin, my guest from way back in Episode 9, for his multiple comments this past week on the website to various show notes. Always great to have the content and discussions we're having on the podcast strike a chord that resonates enough for someone to leave a comment on the show notes. So please make sure to leave a comment on the website if something we talk about here today strikes you as significant. Before introducing today's guest, just a real quick announcement that the Western Governors Association created a webinar series on the subject of the Western drought. The webinars will be the second and fourth Wednesday of the month, starting in February, on February 11th, and going through April 8th, 2015. They've got some great guests lined up, and I'll actually be moderating the February 25th webinar for them. You can learn more about the Western Governors Association webinars about drought at www.westgov.org. That's www.westgov.org. Okay, on to today's show. Phil Rolchigo, Pentair's Vice President of Technology, joins us. He shares some excellent ex- insights into several seemingly divergent technology applications on which Pentair is working that actually share a common technological element. You'll really enjoy what Phil has to say about these technologies and how they're being brought to market. With that said, let's get on with it. Open the valves, fasten your seatbelts, and here we go. Well, Phil, thanks very much for coming on to the Water Values Podcast. Really appreciate your time. Uh, if you could, could you start off by telling us a little bit about your background and how you got interested in water? Yeah, sure. Um, so um, my background, I'm a PhD in chemical and biochemical engineering. And um, through, through school, spent a lot of my time focused on developing new novel uh, separations technologies I uh, was originally interested in uh, applying, applying my, uh, my uh, Ph.D. to biotechnology and separation of pharmaceuticals and biopharmaceuticals. And as, as my pre- career progressed early on, I got very interested in water and wastewater treatment, realizing how important it is. Um, you know, I started off at a startup company and continued on innovating, um, was at a company called Osmonics, which was one of the pioneers in water treatment uh, technology, started way back in the, in the 60s, uh, and then progressed to being here at, um, here at Pantera, where I'm Vice President of Technology. Um, so water, water started just to become part of, part, of, um, part of my DNA, a very uh, important space. You know, I, I, um, one of my favorite quotes is from uh, Leonardo da Vinci, who, uh, says that water is the driver of nature. And um, I think of this a little bit differently. To me, water is the driver of life. Uh, it's an essential resource with absolutely no substitute to sustain life. And so that everything that touches our lives, if you think about it, from the food we eat, to the fuels that we burn, to warm our homes, the clothes we wear, the cars we drive, they all have a significant virtual water footprint. You know, They all need water to be processed. So no matter where you look, water is essential. Um, you, you hear people talk about um, the food, water, energy nexus. This is a really, you know, a, a, a new thread that people are really speaking a lot about. 
But when you think about it, uh, it's really water that's the common element that ties all that together. And so to me, uh, it's our most precious resource. And it's exciting to be part of a company like Pentair that, that uh, is uh, focused on um, finding ways to, to uh, preserve it. Great. Well, you, you know, Phil, you've said a couple really interesting things in there. Uh, initially, you indicated you were working on separations technologies, and, and you kind of then mentioned pharmaceuticals and biopharmaceuticals. Can you talk a little about what, what exactly are separations technologies? Yeah. So um, in any process, when you, when you manufacture, um, for instance, a, a pharmaceutical or you make milk or you make wine or you make beer, you have to purify it to get it to a, a level where it, um, it's stable and, and consumable. Uh, and so you use technologies like membranes or filtration where you separate different, um, different components in those feeds based on the size or you use distillation and separate them based on vapor pressure, or you purify uh, these streams using ultraviolet light or other forms of disinfection. So it, it, it's really, when, you, when I say separation processes, it's any technology that can take something that's impure and purify it. Okay. And before we get on to, and on to the next question, I also you also mentioned the virtual water footprint that a lot of our products have. Um, it's, I've had guests on who've, who've mentioned this virtual water footprint before, uh, but it's been a while, and I just wanted to, to get your um, thoughts on, uh, you know, what the virtual water footprint looks like uh, for various products, um, in particular ones that you have experience with working on at Pentair. Yeah, so, you know, when you, when you think about, let, let's take an example like, um, like beer. Um, you have to grow the grain takes a certain amount of water. You have to transport the grain to the manufacturing site where you're going to do the fermentation. Um, the fuel that is used to transport it requires water to process the fuel to make the fuel. Uh, once you are processing the beer, you need water as an input to drive the fermentation. Um, and then you need water to clean up the process afterwards. Um, and so when you look at that, uh, you might be drinking a liter of beer, but it took, you know, tens of liters of water to actually get to that, to that state. And anything you look at, uh, any food product, textiles, clothes, if you can trace back um, from uh, cradle to, to production, um, they, all, they all take uh, a, a significant amount of water to, to produce. And so now let's let's hop back into to, on the, the main track here. Uh, what kind of technologies is Pentair involved in? Like, what what is your what's your daily routine? Well, um, you know, so so Pentair manufactures um, a, a, a number of different products. You know, our, our strategy, if we if we can kind of step back, a big part of our strategy is supported and driven by what we call the megatrends. The the fact that our population is growing at a, at a fairly fast rate in that, you know, over a billion people don't have access to, um, to, uh, to energy, to, to sufficient energy, to clean water, to, to food, and that um, our products are, are, um, are, 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 are strategies really designed to be able to help, uh, help, that, help, the, uh, help the world sustain its needs. Um, so we... Um, have, we're, we, we have four divisions. We manufacture uh, valves and controls. We manufacture filtration uh, and separation technologies, and we manufacture 
uh, uh, pumps, and each of these products and technologies are used in the, the, the production of food, production of energy, and ultimately in the purification and transport of water to address, address those, uh, those megatrends and those global needs. Sure. And so what are some of the technologies that, are work, that you're working on to, to help uh, advance those business lines you mentioned? Okay. So um, let's talk about one that's a really exciting and relatively new for us. Um, we realized that um, um, to feed the world, um, we're going to have to find new sustainable ways in which to manufacture um, proteins. Right? As, as, the, as, the, as the world population grows and as the middle class continues to grow, there's a higher and higher and not proportional demand uh, on, on the need for protein. So aquaculture is one way in which we could, you know, uh, in, a, in an engineered way, farm fish. Um, and in a more sustainable way, we can do that in terms of what we call recirculating aquaculture systems. So these are engineered systems to take fish and grow them to a point at which they can be can be consumed. Now that's a really complex process. You have a process where you buy you need to uh, keep the keep fish in a in a closed loop environment, and you need sophisticated filtration and separations technologies to continually purify that water as the fish grow and excrete the byproducts, which um, in the ocean get diluted, but in a closed environment would actually poison them. And we've taken that even a step further into a process that's called aquaponics where we combine both the production of fish with the production of hydroponically grown produce, where this is a really interesting process because the waste from the fish can be used as fertilizer for the, for the, for the produce. The produce further purify the water, and then, can re, you, know, then you, can, you can close loop that water right back into the fish. So the combination of growing fish and growing produce has a, a, a um, symbiotic um, effect. Uh, in, a, in a very, you know, in a very cost-effective way. And this is really one of the exciting opportunities to take this type of approach into urban farming where you can now think about, you know, if you go back to think about the virtual water footprint where you grow food in one part of the world, you transport it to another part of the world, that food is, is, is consumed there, um, and there's a tremendous amount of energy that's required in, in that whole, that whole uh, value chain. But with urban farming, you can grow, you can grow, you know, grow fish and produce locally to the markets that are going to consume it. It, it. it reduces your energy footprint, and by having this closed loop system, you reduce your water footprint by about 99%. Well, that, so that's one technology that's really exciting that that we're focusing on. Um, another area that we're focusing on is what's called what we're calling resource recovery. People currently think about a wastewater treatment plant. You think about you know you think about the the, the value chain of water. You, get, you purify water. People use it. Industrial plants use it. Uh, food processing plants use it. It makes its way back to a wastewater treatment plant. It's purified to a level which meets um, discharge standards and then discharged back into the environment. We're we're um, we're reimagining what wastewater treatment plants do and actually reimagining what we call them and call them what what they really are. They're resource plants. We think of them as resource recovery plants, where by applying the right technologies, you can recover the water, you can recover uh, valuable nutrients like phosphates and, 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 uh, and nitrates uh, that are used as in fertilizers, and you can recover energy because the process uh, engineered properly 
creates methane, and if you can capture that methane instead of discharging it back into the environment, <laughs> you can use that back into the, into the wastewater treatment plant to get to almost cost-neutral or energy-neutral um, uh, footprints in a wastewater treatment plant. And so we're, we're doing a lot of research and development and bringing new technologies to the market that, that um, address those resource recovery opportunities. One particular one is what we call our anaerobic membrane bioreactor. This is a bioreactor, uh, an anaerobic uh, re bioreactors, um, you know, a classic reactor used in municipal applications, industrial applications. It's, uh, it produces methane, but the combination of using that reactor with our membrane technology and our biogas recovery technology, we can um, get the water to a water quality level, which you can reuse it, repurpose it, or discharge it safely to the environment, uh, and recover two to three times more methane than you can from a typical anaerobic bioreactor. So really changing the, the, um, the paradigm of how these, these treatment plants are thought of as waste treatment plants and turning them into waste and turning them into resource recovery plants. Sure. So you've mentioned the aquaponics and the resource recovery out of uh, what our, our nomenclature today is the wastewater treatment plant. Uh, what are some of the challenges? Because those seem like two very different uh, technologies. So what are some of the challenges with each kind of uh, uptake of that technology? I mean, how hard is it to develop the market for those technologies? Yeah, you know, that's a, you know, a great, great question, um, Dave. You know, we, we, um, Antero is a very process-oriented company, um, and, and, and we, we have processes in place to drive productivity. Uh, it's part of the Pentair Integrated Management System, and we have processes that we've established to drive growth. And one of our processes to drive growth is our, our product development process, and another one is what we call our rapid growth process. Now, both, both processes are, have a lot of similar attributes. They're they're directed towards different different objectives. Product development is what you think. It's a process to develop new products. Rapid growth process is a, is a process to explore and develop new business models or new markets. Uh, and, and so by creating processes that we can um, standardize across the company, that helps us innovate. That helps us bring, bring either new business ideas or new products to market more quickly. So that being said, you know, no process is perfect, and when we start to look at where the opportunities are to really drive these processes to a higher level and, 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 and create more value for our customers, um, we always look at the upfront part. How do you identify the value that you're going to create for a customer? And one of the things we say is an innovation is not an innovation until we're actually creating value for our customers. So it's not just, you know, uh, gee whiz science, it's all about can we create value for our customers. So we spend a, a lot of our time uh, really trying to become much more intimate with our customer, understanding what their needs are. So that's a, that's a great first step because if you can identify the need, the customers, customers are much more engaged in the process and it's easier to bring new technologies to the market um, because they're part of the solution. It's, it's, a, it's much more challenging when you think about um, small startup companies in in the space, um, because a lot of times the the the, the genesis of a, of a small small startup company is is that they built a better mousetrap, and the question is, is it really a better mousetrap? Um, did they really create enough value to justify 
the investment in in that in that in that innovation. Um, but with that said, you know um, the the important thing always is to really understand how you're going to create value for your customer, and that 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 really is the first big barrier that you you, you take down to more rapidly take innovation to the to these uh, these types of markets. Yeah, that's a really I think a good insight. It seems there are a lot of people that are coming up with neat things, but they can't find anyone to sell it to. So even though the technology is really impressive. Uh, they're unable to to really bring it to market because they weren't taking that first step and they weren't vetting the technology against what what the needs are. Um, so, are there some other impediments? Say you've you've identified the need and you've you've interacted with your customer. Uh, how do you grow that market? What are some of the impediments uh, that you see in, to to growing the market for this for technologies? You know, um, um, industry by industry is very different. Um, you know, in the municipal markets, sometimes the regulatory hurdles are a challenge. In the in the conservative nature of that industry is a challenge. I, I remember the first time I was, um, you know, the first time that I was involved in in, in applications that were municipally oriented. Um, you know, I'm a technology guy, so I always think about okay, if we found something and we developed something that's really innovative that'll create value, can we? Can we capture some intellectual property so that you know we can we can um, you know uh, um, protect ourselves? And finding out that actually that's that's a, that's a, an inhibitor in a lot of in the municipal market because they want to be able to multi multi-source technologies. So just just in the fact that they want to multi-source technologies is somewhat of an inhibitor to bringing innovative technologies to that marketplace. So it's a it's a it's a weird conundrum. Um, so that, that's, that's, that's an interesting challenge there. Um, uh, you know, you know, historically what, what, what I've found is that industry has been the first segment that truly values water and it's easier to innovate in an industrial application because you can prove the value that you've created. And business people are business people. They count, they count dollar signs. And if you can show that you've improved their process, improved their bottom line, uh, it's easier to get over the hurdles of, well, this is a little bit new. Um, so it's, it's, it's easier. And so, you know, I, I think the typical path is I see that industry tends to be early adopters of new innovative technologies. And then as that technology is, is proven and costs are reduced, you'll see it trickle into the, the more residential and commercial spaces and then into the, into the, um, the municipal spaces. Hmm. Yeah, in terms of the, the resource recovery technology you were, we were talking about earlier, um, the vast majority of wastewater treatment plants are municipally owned and operated, um, or at least they're at least municipally owned. I know there there are P threes out there that are, but so it, in the market that is so dominated by the municipal sector, how does how does that resource recovery technology? How do you gain a toehold uh, for the technology to really take off? Yeah, no, it's a you know it's a great point, and here here here's my point. The first applications that we've had for this technology have been in dairy plants, where we've been able to convert the wastewater in a dairy to, uh, you know, energy neutral um, treatment plants, and then repurpose all the water. So there, in those applications, you know, you can very easily and quickly draw a value proposition, 
and that that's where we're finding the the, the most early earliest traction on a, a resource recovery plant like like that, where we're recovering energy and recovering water. Um, now take that full circle. Now that you know we're starting to see that, we're starting to realize municipal plants are starting to look at other ways that they could they could generate revenue. Um, and what's happened a lot over the last 10 years is, is they've made one step towards that. They realized that they were, um, they were a cost center in the municipality. They're taking water, treating it, and releasing it back into the environment. Well, they had actually a, a, um, a feedstock that, that, uh, that uh, people were paying for, water that was somewhat impaired. And if they can treat it, and instead of putting it back into the, to the environment, reuse it, send it to industry, send it to power plants, they can actually get paid and go from being a cost center to actually a profit center. And so that was the first step. And so, so industry, industry led with reuse um, many years ago. Industry now is, is looking at resource recovery. Municipalities follow short behind with water reuse. Um, the whole, you've heard the, the term purple pipe. So if you've been in Texas, you've been in California and see, or golf courses in Arizona and you see the, you know, violet pipes, purple pipes, um, you know, here and there, that's all recycled water that's been treated by the municipality and pumped back to be used, uh, to be repurposed. Um, municipalities now are starting to say, okay, well, we did this with water. What are the other opportunities? Wow, look, we got a ton of opportunity to recover phosphates. We got a ton of opportunity to recover biosolids and convert them to energy. And so they're, they're coming a little bit more slowly. So my point that I made that industry is usually the first adopter, followed by the municipalities, is, is coming, is, is, you know, is, is holding, holding true. Sure. And, and great example, because you answered my next question, which was going to be, uh, you know, municipalities and utilities are typically in a race to be 10th. You know, they, they're, they are a little gun shy of being the first one out there to try a new technology. And so uh, the, the industrial sector is the proving ground, I think, holds a lot of merit for what you're, what you're saying there. Mm-hmm. So um, let's, let's talk about risk. These, these industrial first adopters of technology, how, how are they managing the risk uh, that all the munis and utilities want to avoid? You know, um, typically in an industrial setting, you know, you, you have an application, you, you run pilots, you, you take the risk down in a very engineered fashion from We've got a concept. We think this will work. It'll work on paper. You run a pilot. It's it's at a point at which you can uh, and you run a pilot at a level which you think you can. Uh, you're confident you can scale it, and you scale it. And then the more times at which you've you know you know um, been able to do that application, industry is a little more comfortable to say, hey, yeah, you know what, my my competitor down the street is doing this. If if they're doing it, I better do it. So there's also that competition element. But um, in terms of just managing the risk, you know, it's just good process engineering around, you know, identifying the opportunity, uh, being able to show the value proposition on paper, and then running pilot studies and doing the proper work to, 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 uh, to validate that uh, the process is going to work and your, your economics are going are gonna, to um, be validated. Sure. Uh- so let's talk a little about going back to your example with aquaponics and developing that market. I mean, how scalable is the technology that you're you're developing here, the the, the separations technology to allow the uh, 
the, the water that's supporting the fish as well as the, uh, the, the produce, you know, what, how, what's the scalability of that and what are the most common applications you're seeing of, of that being introduced into the market? Sure. So, um, the, the, uh, this is an application that's very early in development. Um, one of the things that gets us really excited is that, um, you, you could standardize, you know, as an engineer, the way I think, I think about standardizing something. Right. You could standardize this process. It's almost something you could imagine being like a franchise that you can actually create, uh, um, you know, an out-of-the-box uh, model that people could replicate. Uh, and we're exploring, we're exploring these types of business models today, but it's, it's very, it's very, so it would be very scalable. Um, we've got an application here in uh, the Twin Cities uh, with a company, our partner company called Urban Organics, where we're doing exactly that. We, um, we designed the system. Um, we worked with them from the beginning to the, to the, to implementation and, and startup um, around, uh, Around the um, around around a system and a process that would be able to be we'd able to replicate um, and, um, and it's working fantastically. So we're we're um, we're excited about it. It's uh, it's a very small water footprint, so it can be something you can do in an urban environment. Um, we found we found that uh, you know we reduced the water footprint to grow the uh, to grow the, the to maintain the fish and grow the produce by 99%, so it's a very small water footprint. Um, we found things like just because it's an engineered uh, environment, we, we, we dramatically increased the rate at which the produce grows, so the productivity around growing produce is really, uh, you know, a game changer. So as we're, as we're, as we're developing the application and we're starting to, to understand all the benefits of tying the two technologies together or the two applications together, I should say, with the technologies, we're seeing opportunities to innovate at the technology level to reduce the cost. We're seeing the, the process um, become more and more efficient because of the way they're coupled together, and that affects the economics. So we're on this journey to um, to to um, to a model that we think is very sustainable and, and, and scalable. I, I, this is getting a little off topic, but I'm just curious as we, as we were talking, what are the what are there certain species of fish and certain types of produce that that grow best in this aquaponic setup or I'm just, that just kind of struck me as a, as a, an interesting side note here. Sure. So, you know, there's, there's a, there's a roadmap. Uh, tilapia grows very easily in, in a lot of environments. So it's a very robust fish. Um, so most people, you know, tend to start with tilapia, but you know, we grow trout, Rainbow trout. We grow um, different forms of, uh, of bass. Uh, we're working on being able to take the same technology and apply it to seawater uh, fish like salmon. Um, and so there's there, there, there there's you know there's 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 so much runway that the opportunities are limitless. And uh, the moment you can you know go from something like tilapia that could feed the masses to more um, sophisticated fish like like salmon, we really change the uh, change the paradigm to be able to feed the world. Okay, um, let's talk a little, if you would, please, about how how do you get on the cutting edge of technology? Uh, you know, what's what are some of the things that are just on the very edge? How how are you um, approaching that? And and what what are your thoughts on where uh, technology is going to lead us in the water sector? 
Um, you know, so first of all, kind of circling back to where we started, you know, when we talk about the mega trends and the world's population growing and the middle class growing and the need for food and energy and water just growing actually in a, in a disproportionate rate, um, we realize that um, the need is there and it's going to continue to grow. Um, but again, you always, we always have to go from the market back. What are the opportunities? Where can we really make a big difference? How can we create value for our customers? Uh, and then from there, think about, okay, once we understand the process and we understand what the current best available solution is, we start to look at the solution and we say, where can we improve the solution? Right? No one technology is the holy grail and is going to solve any of these problems. It's the combination of the technologies. It's the combination of the business process. It's the combination of of education, all those things together come together to create a solution. And so, you know, we, we have to look holistically at all of that. Uh, but once we understand the solution and we understand what the technical aspects of the solution are, then we look at where we can improve uh, the technologies to change the cost paradigm and the value proposition of the um, uh, of, of that solution. So um, broadly speaking, what we always look to do is if we can create a new technology that reduces energy, um, that solves this, maybe solves the same exact customer problem that reduces energy, that's a winner. An example of that, uh, a pool, right? You don't think about, people don't think about pools as a water treatment system, but it is, right? It's a, it's a stagnant body of water. If you didn't filter it, pump it, uh, disinfect it, it would not be something you would want to even stick your, your, uh, your toe <laughs> into, right? So it's a water treatment system. It's a water reuse system. It's a total closed-loop recycle system. Um, but it takes a lot of energy to keep moving that water all the way through that, through that filter over and over again. Well, we created a smart pump. We created a pump that understands the quality of the water and can change the rate at which it pumps based on the quality of the water, reducing the energy footprint by, you know, up to 90% of the energy of a typical pump. We've got... Um, um, we had a program with the EPA that, that, that this was such an innovation. We've got um, Energy Star markings on this pump. Um, saving 90% of the energy is, is great, and it's amazing, right? It, it, but it was, it was, it was. We understood the problem. We under, we knew the solution. We were able to diagnose where the biggest pro, where the biggest opportunity was first, and we solved it in a very innovative way. So that's just an example of of, you know, the way we, we look at all of the applications and opportunities in our market. We look at what the problem is, we look at the solution, and then we figure out where the pain point is in the solution and where we should be innovating within that, within that solution space. Gotcha. Well, Phil, you've been absolutely fantastic today take, walking us through uh, Pentair and some of the technologies you're developing. Uh, really appreciate it. Uh, for those folks who want to find out more about you and Pentair, where can they go to, to find that information? They can go to pentair.com. Great. And that's P-E-N-T-A-I-R.com. Terrific. Right. All right. Well, Phil, again, thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon. Great, David. Thanks for your time. You betcha. All right. Bye. bye. That was my conversation with Phil Rolchigo. He was terrific, and I hope you enjoyed hearing what he had to say. A couple of takeaways for you. First, I wanted to note how two seemingly separate applications, aquaculture and resource recovery and wastewater treatment plants share a common technolo technological root 
uh, the separations technology that Phil discussed. You know, fascinating how those two very different applications share uh, separations technology as their as their base. Second, I really enjoyed hearing Phil's thoughts on bringing technologies to market. He obviously comes from a large scale technology developer, and I've I've got another interview coming up with a smaller technology firm. And you'll hear how the startup firm brings technology to market there. But uh, I'll be interested to hear what you think uh, as you compare and contrast their perspectives on on bringing technologies uh, to market. Uh, finally, I didn't latch onto this during the interview, but as I re-listened to it, uh, the water footprint of the aquaponics application really jumped out at me. Phil indicated that the aquaponics system Pentair was helping develop reduced the water footprint for resulting fish and produce by 99%. 99%. Think about how this could impact developing countries that are struggling with water scarcity right now. If they could get clean water, and for that, see my conversation with John Oldfield back in episode 42 of the Water Values podcast, and if they could raise a greater share of their produce and protein locally and with less water, this could open up tremendous opportunities to improve the lives of those people. Um, I just think this is could be really transformative for these uh, developing countries. Well, you can check the show notes out for this session at thewatervalues.com forward slash pod 49. Leave a comment on the show notes like we discussed earlier or email me at david at thewatervalues.com. You can also tweet at me at, at DTM1993 and you can tweet about the podcast using the hashtag watervalues. And don't forget to rate and please review the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and other podcast directories. And please don't forget to tell your friends and colleagues about the podcast and to sign up for the Water Values newsletter, which can be done at thewatervalues.com. In closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Thank you for tuning into the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Colorado and Indiana, and this podcast does not establish an attorney-client relationship with you or anyone else. And information in this podcast should not be considered legal advice. Further, this podcast is not a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer who finds water issues interesting and who believes greater public education about water issues is necessary. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.